Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about purpose, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and videos from our live events. So today I have a really special guest with me, and this conversation, you know, I got off the interview with Pat, and his name's Pat Solomon, and I immediately texted uh, Xander, who's on our team, and I said, man, this is one of the best conversations ever. You know, it was just, we, we talk about so much in this, but just to give you some, some insight into who Pat is, he is the director of a film called Finding Joe. And we'll get into what that is in, in a moment. But for the past 12 years, he has been directing commercials, which you can check out his, his highlight reel at newhousefilms.com, as newhousefilms.com. Uh, he started his career shooting action sports films, snowboarding, motocross, skateboarding, et cetera, and, and has you know, moved into commercials and then finally into the uh, full filmmaking industry. So he started filming this documentary in two, 2009. Uh, it was released in 2012. And in this documentary, he interviews people like Tony Hawks and Deepak Chopra and Robin Sharma. Uh, just to name a few people, there's there's a whole list of incredible, incredible people. In fact, after this movie was released, President Obama not only invited Pat and his family to the White House, but uh, from my understanding, had a private screening. So it's a it's a pretty incredible film, and, and it's had a, a huge, huge impact. So t- on this podcast, Pat and I talk a little bit about Joseph Campbell, who wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And Joseph Campbell, if you don't know him, you should definitely check him out. And you should definitely check out his books, Start with the Power of Myth, and then go to The Hero with a Thousand Faces. But Joseph Campbell had a huge influence on Pat's life. And in this interview, we talk about the hero's journey. And we talk about what the hero's journey actually is, and how so many people's lives fit into this cycle of the hero's journey. Now, more so from that, uh, Pat shares his personal experience with going through a midlife crisis, which you know I, I kind of laugh at with a, a little bit of of uh, nervousness because I think that most people are sort of like afraid that that midlife crisis is going to hit them. But he shares experience with infidelity and you know dealing with alcohol and the whole Hollywood scene, uh, and then you know building this movie right after his uh, midlife crisis. From there, we also dive into some more serious things. Uh, recently, his wife has been diagnosed with cancer, and he shares a little bit of insight on what that process has been like, You know how they've communicated with their son, all of that kind of stuff. So there's some really, really incredible things. He also shares some of his top lessons from interviewing some of these incredible people, some of the most incredible people. So uh, without any further delay, I would like and love to introduce you to Pat Solomon. 
All right, Pat, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really excited to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm stoked. So we kind of touched on this before, but I, I'm curious if you can share with our listeners a defining moment that has shaped who you are today. Yeah, so so my, I would say pr- probably the biggest defining moment in my life was came from uh, a couple of crises that converged at the same time. So uh, A, I was having a pretty severe midlife crisis, and that is whatever you're thinking a midlife crisis is, that's what was happening to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, the, I didn't, I didn't get a sports car, but I got like an old junker and I put as much money into it as having a sports car. And, you know, I was having extramarital affairs and drug abuse and alcohol addiction and, you know, you name it, that was happening. It was, and it was horrible because at some point in the crisis, I could see what was happening and I could see, Hey, this isn't me. But I couldn't control it. It was just a. It was a horrible place to be in. And my career at that time, and still is, um, I was as a director. I direct commercials for a living. But I'd always been a Joseph Campbell fan, and I'd always said at some point, you know, I'd love to do a movie about Campbell. And then I don't know. A couple of years goes by, and I'm and I'm really in the depths of this crisis, and I'm and I'm doing everything I think I can to get out. I'm seeing a shrink and. I'm talking to my friends about it and people are coming up to me and saying, Hey man, we're really concerned. You're kind of going off the deep end. And right, right when I kind of, kind of in the, in the midst of it, my father passes away. It wasn't suddenly, it was expected, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was also a shock to have him gone. We, we were close and, and, and at that time in my life, I was really, you know, really close to him. So, so that was horrible. And then, uh, three weeks later, my mom died, and that was really horrible. So I'm just now in a swirling crisis, and I and I don't know how to get out. And I think really the, the defining moment was this idea that I had when both of your parents are gone, right? Even as a man, and and if you if you see yourself as a you know I'm a man and I'm you know strong and I you know carry emotional weight and gravitas and whatever, when your both of your parents are gone emotionally, I don't care how old you are, you're truly on your own. You know, you don't have that kind of emotional support, even if you don't talk to your parents for long periods of time. Something about having them there makes you a child or or a kid, or, you know, you still have an adult or someone older or your parents and all that they represent to lean on. So I really felt like, oh shit, I'm on my own now. Like I don't have parents. I truly, I mean, I know I'm only I'm in my like late thirties at that point, but, um, or early forties. And I, and I still felt like, Hey, I'm, I'm alone in this. I, there's no one, there's no one there to lean on. And then I went, well, if they're gone now, what, what does that mean? That, that means I'm going to be gone soon too. And, and I had better get about doing what I was put here to do before I'm gone. Mm. And that thought was, was what really clearly defined my path going forward. I, it wasn't overnight, but it was over, I would say, a couple months that I went from full crisis to making a decision to make the film Finding Joe and and starting down the road. And I just, I put all of my efforts into making this film. And in so doing, I was able to get out of the uncomfortable and horrible crisis I was in, but also kind of get on this path of following my bliss and really finding some joy and happiness in life um, that, like I had never found before. 
And, and, you know, of course, that repaired my relationship with my wife and my family and my friends. And it was, it was quite amazing. Wow, man. I mean, there's, there's so much to, to unpack in there. I mean, from the quarter life crisis or from the midlife crisis to, you know, repairing things with your parents to that, that sort of like pinnacle or that, that, that shift and that awareness of if I am truly alone, then I, then I should probably get to why I'm here. And I think it's interesting because uh, I'm curious if having gone through all of this, do you think that you have to hit this place of sort of emotional drainage or, you know, hit that quote unquote rock bottom in order to have that realization or are there ways to sort of kickstart that? Because I think I see a lot of people sort of like waiting and waiting and waiting and then they they have these moments in their life. They They have the midlife crisis. So they lose someone really close to them, whether it's their partner or their parents or whatever the case may be a child. And, and then it, it kicks in that they should probably get to doing what, what they're here for. So do you think that there's a way to circumvent that? Or is it just sort of like a, the natural order of things? All right, so it's so funny you said that I was just having this conversation with some folks, we were screening the movie in Toronto recently. And, um, and the idea is, or the, the conversation was about, you know, how, how do we follow our bliss? And how do we find our path in life? And, and these crises are often what define us or send us on our journey. And it's funny when you look back on your life, you know, a lot of, a lot of the defining moments in people's lives are, are a crisis or a struggle. So I would say that for, for, for me, I know it's true. Like I need that. I, I don't have the kind of, um, what would you call it? Consistency, consistency mm-hmm. of action to like every day, be consistent with your intention and your actions. Mine's kind of all over the place. Like I'll go for long periods of times with very focused, clear intention and a goal and I'll be on my path and then I'll get bored or, you know, I'll follow the butterfly into the forest. Oh shit. How'd I get here? I'm in crisis again. I, when I look back at my life, I see clearly that I have this pattern of kind of waving going up and down. And I think it's true of many people, but there are definitely certain people who are very consistent and in their actions and their intentions. And I wish I had that, but I just, I just don't, (laughs) I just don't have that personally. And I, and I, it's weird, you know, motivation is a huge thing and what motivates people, you know, it's, it's kind of what makes humans great. You know, we're all so different. Some people have that clear and consistent motivation and some people like myself will go on a journey and, and accomplish something. And then, and then we'll kind of drift off into the next, journey and it takes a kick in the pants for me anyway to get mm. going on the next one do do you find and i know that this is a bit of a generalization but you know i i come from a very creative background i have a degree in music do you find that that sort of wandering that you're talking about is and again this is general but generally linked to very creative people because i find that very project oriented analytically based people often have a more linear trajectory even when it comes to their their sort of direction in life, but more creative people are, are much more fluid, and so it's it seems like they're they are easily or easier swayed by that sort of butterfly that you talked about. It, I, and I kind of agree with that. And and um, and I think uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. Do you know Akira? He's he's yeah, yeah he's. Um, I mean, I know I know Akira the cartoon like the anime. <laughs> yeah, he's part, he's part of the. Uh, the um, Archangel group, I met him there and he's doing this documentary about addiction. Um, mm. and, and, 
and in in conversation, we I was talking about this very thing. You know, creative people and musicians and um, artists in general they they seem more prone to addiction. And it, and is there a reason for that? Is it because they are creative and they don't have any rules or structures, or they're they're constantly you know thinking outside the box? And so and so the normal rules that hold people in place don't apply to them. So they're very easily kind of sway that is it's what makes you creatively genius but it also could potentially what what makes you fall into traps as well as a creative person so hmm. it was an it was an interesting conversation and i would say that yes definitely it feels like the creative type has more of a um you're kind of more easily distracted by the butterflies into the forest which also is your strength as well Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I find a lot of people because of the creativity, they will explore whether it's whatever medium their creativity shows up in, whether it's design or music or art, they sort of explore the depths of emotionality oftentimes. And it often leads them a little bit more susceptible. Not that it's not that other people can't be susceptible, but it sort of leaves them more susceptible and and, and a little bit more likely to latch on to some of those darker, you know, more cavernous feelings that reside in, in sort of like the bottom of our psyche. So I'm curious if, if that played a part in, in what led up to your midlife crisis. Like, how did that come about? Where did that come from looking back and sort of connecting the dots backwards? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that are, especially, you know, for our podcast, we have a lot of men that have maybe just come through their their late 20s, early 30s, or we have guys in their you know mid 30s that are sort of entering into that space. What should they sort of be alert of when entering into that space? Yeah, that's that's a, that's actually a really a really good question. I, and I and I have stayed up many nights thinking about this and <laughs> talking about this, especially with with people who were close to me at that time. You know, they just the, the way they describe it is you just went crazy for a few years, like you literally weren't yourself for a few years. And when I look back at it emotionally, besides being horribly embarrassed by the whole thing, I feel like there, there was a couple little linchpins, right? One is I was having tons of success as a director, right? So I had, and and I was traveling a lot. So, and I was surrounded with other people who were, it, it was almost like rock star syndrome, right? Like everyone else is doing it. Hey, I'm going to, I kind of got sucked up into the moment of it. Mm. Um, so, so I didn't have my guard up at all. I like literally kind of followed that butterfly into the forest. Like, Hey, this is great. We're, uh, off, you know, in a, in a different country and we're, you know, at some crazy party and this is awesome. And then that would happen again and again and again, all of a sudden your, your focus in life has changed to, you know, this great career that you have to, um, where the next party is. Mm. And and it was it was easier for me because I was constantly gone and traveling and I was surrounded by that element. So looking back, I wish I would have a had a friend right away that said, "Dude, focus on your mission, which is you know filmmaking and directing and and your family, and don't be so easily distracted by that stuff." Uh, or you know, I wish I would have just like recognized it right away and said to myself, "Wait a minute, wait, this is this is not who I am. This is not what I." This is not my my goals in my twenties was to direct and be a filmmaker, and this is getting me off my goals. Why am I doing this? So I wish there was some moment in there where, early on, where where I would have or somebody would have just pulled me aside and gave me a good swift kick in the pants and said, "Dude, get your shit together." <laughs> that's a that's a great that's a great way of putting it. I mean, we we talk a lot on this 
on this podcast and the organization about the power of having, you know, a band of brothers or a group of guys, or even if it's just a couple of them that can hold you accountable to those things. Right. And I think that the crucial piece that you're talking about, though, is knowing what that purpose is first and foremost, you know, being able to identify that this sort of is like the crucial step, which I think you you had already done. It sounds like you'd already done that uh, very early on in life of finding what that purpose was and finding that this is my direction in life of creating movies and, and, and creation. Is that is that accurate? That, yeah, that, that's pretty accurate. I, I mean, it was my written goal in my early, early 20s to be a filmmaker and and you know, I, I really pursued that with, with quite a bit of passion. Mm, nice. Yeah. So, so when it comes to, uh, actually, I'm just curious, do you believe in quarter life crises? A quarter life crisis. So that would be at 25. Yeah. Yeah. Another one at 50. <laughs> yeah. I could, I could actually see that. I have some friends that were had some quarter life crises. <laughs> mm, yeah. I, I was just curious because I've, I've seen quite a few guys that, especially if they're more mature early on and they have a lot of responsibility early on, there seems to be like this, theme that is coming up where the more responsibility they have in their teenage years or in their or in their earlier life, the more likely they are to sort of hit that uh, crisis at a, at a little bit of an earlier age for some reason. But so I was just curious to get your take on that. Um, yeah, the, the, the one that happens in your 20s to me is just an extension of what, you know, happens in your teens, which is, uh, um, I don't know, as a guy anyway, it felt it really feels like there's and and it happens in this culture, I notice. Like, it's very culturally, you know, it's kind of a Western thing, it feels to me like. And that is this, it's like, I guess it'd be repressed, but but as a teenager, I can see, because my son is a teenager, a lot of his friends are really exploring, I guess you would say. So they're exploring sexually, and they're experimenting with all the stuff that's out there, like alcohol and drugs. and And most of them are just experimenting, you know, but a few of them are really coming off the rails and entering mm -hmm. rehab and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it may be that a quarter life crisis is just kind of an extension of that exploration that never got to happen, you know, never really got to explore sexually or explore, you know, socially what was out there. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense. So let's, let's just kind of shift gears a little bit to the movie. And, and I, you know, I would, I feel like your family will kind of tie into all this and in, in your personal life, but um, I would love to talk about finding Joe a little bit and and kind of get, dive into the work of of you know Joseph Campbell because that's you know this is based off of a little bit off of his work and based off of the the hero's journey if I'm not not mistaken. Yeah. And you know he's got a he's got a great quote that you have on your website that says we must be willing to get rid of the life we've planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. What does that What does that mean to you? Like, why is that so important? That it that it's kind of like is it the sort of the essence of of what you were making, or or how does that fit in? I feel like that that wasn't might might not have been the essence, but but to me, it feels like most people that um, most people have one idea of how their life should go, right? And, and it maybe has happened at an early age. Mm. Right? I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to get a degree, and I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to make money and have a family. And, and that plan usually doesn't include, I'm going to be super happy and I'm going to do the things on a regular basis that make me happy. And in so doing, I'm going to make the people around me happy and I'm going to attract the right relationships to make me happy and to make them happy. That part of the equation usually doesn't fit in. Mm. And so it, it feels to me that a lot of people get to a point in their life, whether it's quarter life or midlife or somewhere, and, and they say, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm not 
doing the things that make me happy, or there's just a feeling that they're not happy and they don't know why. And that quote to me is so powerful because, because there's a lot of moments where you go, shit, I'm on the wrong path. I, I need to get on the right path. What is that path? And then so there's this great exploration or journey that needs to happen. But if you're not willing to get rid of the life you planned or get off the path that you are on, which is probably going to more unhappiness, then, um, then you're kind of stuck with the results of that, of that life or that journey. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty powerful and great insight. I, I think, you know, you've, you've talked about the book from, from Joseph Campbell, the, the hero with a thousand faces and how, you know, his work really influenced every major turning point in your life. That's, that's kind of led you to where you are today. Why is he such an influential person in your life? And what were some of the lessons that helped guide you on, on the path that you're on now? I think I think Campbell's work was 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 amazing because it really laid out a map for for life, right? It really it really defined and and right and he called it the hero's journey. I'm not, I'm just assuming that most of your listeners are familiar with that, but maybe not. And and Campbell, just in case you're not familiar, right? Joseph Campbell was this, a mythologist who lived in the early 20th century, and he recognized as he was reading all these stories from different times and different cultures that they all had the, uh, the same pattern, that the hero in, in most of these stories, if not all of them, was taking the same exact journey, and he called this the hero's journey. And, and that had been seen before by other, by other people, but he was the first one to go, wait a minute, why is that? Is, is the reason why all these stories are similar is because humans are all similar, and that those stories are just a metaphor for your life. And that to me really just got me like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm like a hero on a journey in a, like my life is unfolding like a story. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> and I really got excited about that. And I, and I started looking at my life from that point of view and I started looking at stories differently. And I started being able to recognize all these different points along the journey, which is, you know, facing your dragons or fears and overcoming those obstacles to gain Paul, you know, uh, power or knowledge about yourself that you didn't have. And um, most of those things happen with, you know, via a struggle and not when you're sitting on the couch watching television. Mm. So all these, this, this, every time I turned the page on that book, I was like, holy shit, another amazing lesson. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I don't even know what the question you first asked was. I just got so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that just shows your passion for his work. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was just, I was more asked, I mean, I, I think you did answer my question because I was asking, you know, why was his work so important? So you kind of asked, you kind of, you kind of touched on that and answered that, but, you know, maybe some of the highlights in terms of how his work shaped your personal perspective in the choices that you made and how, I mean, actually, it sounds like you kind of answered that. Maybe, maybe we should dive into what the hero's journey is, because I feel like while some, you know, some of our listeners might have a perspective for that maybe not all. So, you know, it's, it, you, like you described, it's a very, it's a cycle, right? You get a call to adventure, supernatural, uh, you, you hit the threshold, there's sort of these guardians, and, and then it puts you into, that's sort of the known, it puts you into the unknown. So can you walk us through a little bit or, or sort of like an overview of what the hero's journey is from a very basic perspective? Yeah. So, so the basic perspective is, and, and, and while I'm talking, you should look at this like a metaphor for your life and you should say, oh, I'm this hero. And so 
if if you're a hero, you usually start out in a village, right? And it's usually a village that uh, that's very comfortable, and you're usually very unconscious when you're in that village. And then at some point in the story, you receive a wake up call, and that might come in you know a very horrible form, like a midlife crisis or tragically losing your parents or someone or loved one. That might come in a form of just, you know, you're out one day for a walk and you follow the butterfly into the forest and all of a sudden you're lost. But in any case, you're leaving this village of the comfortable known and you are going on an adventure and you're, you know, you, you have a goal, you have a wake up call that says, Arthur, go find the grail, you know, something like that. And as you go on your journey, you cross thresholds and you face challenges. And each time you do, you gain a power or, you know, some kind of life skill or, you know, the uh, Luke gets the lightsaber from Obi-Wan just the way you get knowledge of yourself as you go along your journey and and struggle past thresholds. And at some point in the journey, there is a, you know, the ultimate test, the battle with the dragon where you, you know, overcome the most, uh, um, the, the penultimate challenge it, for whatever that means for you uh and you gain the the ultimate boon which would be the treasure or bag of gold or whatever and then really the the end of the journey is you returning to the village you started in and sharing that gold or knowledge with with the village that you're in and you know in my case when i made finding joe that was a struggle and it was was really hard and then me bringing that completed film back to the village to share that knowledge of my treasure was me completing my journey. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Luke Skywalker, because in leading up to this interview, I was doing some background research on you and, and on Joseph Campbell. And admittedly, I haven't read his books, or I haven't read the book, The Hero of a Thousand Faces. I'm going to after this, though, because it's a, it's a very interesting uh, subject matter. But it was kind of funny, because I found this resource online that walked you through the hero's journey based on Luke Skywalker. And literally like every step of the way that you were just describing kind of shows that whole psycho cycle of, of the hero's journey. And, and even when I started looking at other, other entities out there, like Superman, who, you know, I've been obsessed with for such a long time, it was interesting to see his hero's journey sort of play out as well. And, and in his narrative. And then I looked at my own personal life and and it fit in as well, you know, battling battling that darkness and and the addiction, and out of that creating man talks, you know, and and hearing that in your journey as well. It's so interesting to hear that cycle. So how how can people like should they just familiarize themselves with the hero's journey to sort of understand where they are in the cycle? And and yeah, I, I would say I would I would highly recommend the book The Power of Myth first before before you read hero with a thousand faces simply because the the book hero with a thousand faces is great but it's really written in old old world vernacular and you know the sentence structure is very dense and it's a it's a difficult read um all it's rich and it's great and i i wouldn't discourage anyone from reading it but i would say get the power of myth because that is an interview that that uh, Bill Moyers did with Campbell and that those were televised way back in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were turned, those transcripts were turned into this book, the power of myth. And it's very easy to access. And when you read it, you immediately, you go, Oh, right. I get it now. Right. Um, or actually what you should do is go by finding Joe right now 
uh, <laughs> on iTunes, and that will tell you everything you need to know. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to put the uh, the links in the bio there so that people can check out uh, Finding Joe and they can they can grab it off of iTunes for for themselves to to definitely check out and dive more in depth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that it's um, just it, the, the the Moyers interview as well as Finding Joe would be a good place to to start with the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the filming process because you interviewed some really incredible people. Like you got to work with some amazing people on this journey, like Tony Hawk, who I think for most guys my age is like, you know, an icon, Um, especially in this, you know, he basically like built the sporting industry um, on on his back (laughs) and, or on his, on his board, I guess I should say, but you know, what, what was it like to work with these people and what were some of the the lessons and, and takeaways that you started to glean over, you know, these interviews and over this process of, yeah, of interviewing. That's, that's a, that was an amazing process, man. I would say that every single time I did an interview, I just felt maybe smarter by proxy, you know, like I was just kind of, they, they just rubbed off on me and, and it was, I just felt more wise and enlightened and, and I couldn't wait to do more of them. You know, it was really, it was almost, it was almost like an addiction, you know, mm. really going, shit, when's the next interview, man? That felt so good. I got to get another one. Mm. <laughs> um, but, but, um, I would say that, that the process itself was really amazing to me because, because I intentionally said to myself, okay, I'm doing a movie about the hero's journey. I'm just going to kind of wander around in the forest and let fate happen. So I'm not, I don't have any plan. I'm just going to start with one person and kind of wander around and they'll lead me to someone else. And people will hear that I'm doing this film and maybe they'll contact me. But whoever I run into is who is meant to be in the film, I guess was my bottom line. It's not to say that I didn't have a hit list. I did. Like I knew I wanted a skateboarder in there and a surfer in there because I skate and I surf. And I felt like that was kind of my, that was me making the film my film. So so like the for instance the first interview I did was with uh Brian Johnson who who said he was in Topanga but he wasn't he was actually in Bali. <laughs> so so uh that didn't suck I went to Bali for my very first interview. But then he said, "Oh my god, you should talk to my friend Robin Sharma who's in Toronto." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, that sounds great. I don't even know who Robin Sharma is and I had some research something. Wow, this guy's amazing." Uh and I read his book um uh, the monk who drove a Ferrari, I believe. Monk, monk who sold his Ferrari. Sold yeah. his Ferrari, right. And then he said after the interview, he said, well, that was a great interview. You should talk to my friend Deepak Chopra. <laughs> I was like, that sounds great. He's on my list. I knew I'd run into him eventually. And then off I went to shoot Deepak. So, so there was just this amazing synchronicities happening. And, and I knew they were happening because I was allowing them to. I, mm. I, and to go back to the quote we, we talked about earlier, I, I was often saying, you have to let go of the film you had planned in order to have the one that was waiting for you. Hmm. That's really good. And can, I, I kind of want to like just pause there and, and dig into that exact idea again a little bit, because I feel like as a man, and I know I've battled with this before in the past, and I see so many guys struggling with it, is that we have a very specific goal and outcome in mind. And it can be easy for for men to become target obsessed and just sort of um, obsess on how it's going to unfold 
and how that goal or that achievement or that film or that business or that family or that partner is going to manifest and, 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 and come into reality. And so can you share with me a little bit about your process of that letting go? And I know it's a little bit of a, of a ubiquitous or like odd question. It's faith. I would say I, faith. Faith. Mm. Like I, what I, what I just clung onto was, was faith in the process. Like I was very familiar with the hero's journey. I was very familiar with how it works on paper. And even in my own life, you know, I knew, I knew I was familiar with, I was, I was, I guess what, what you said was, is great because men do become very target obsessed, right? You, you have a target, you have a goal, you set your sights on it, you get out your, you know, your rifle and you try to hit it. But that, that not oftentimes that work, you know, the process of getting there is what I had faith in, right? I knew I was going to have this film. I knew I was going to have some great interviews. But like, had I targeted, for instance, um, Deepak, right? And I, and I did send, a, it's not like I didn't send an email out. You know, I'd send emails here and there. I wasn't, I wasn't just waiting for people to come to me. But, you know, like immediately, the, there was no response. Like, he, his people weren't going who the hell is this Pat Solomon guy? Like, I didn't even get a response. <laughs> yeah. But like, let's say I had fixated on that and just went, oh, sh- I didn't get him and all oh, that's not working out and I'm not getting this guy I need. Meanwhile, I would, I would have been um, neglecting the, all the other processes that were going on and the interview, the other interviews that I needed. And so instead of becoming target obsessed, I just had faith in the process. Like, okay, great. It's not Deepak, but it's going to be someone else. And I know it. And I have faith in the process of the hero's journey. I know at the end of this journey, I will have treasure if I follow these steps, if I stick to my commitment, if I battle whatever obstacles come in my path, if I'm persistent, I know I'm going to have treasure. Deepak might be, not be in it, but I'm going to have a freaking treasure. And so I had, to, I had to let that go, right? I had to just let, let the target go and just have faith more in the process than the target. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because what you're talking about is really a shift of focus, right? Like if, I, I always imagine that focus is literally like a camera lens, and and sometimes we have to sort of uh, obscure what we're focusing in on to see the broader picture, you know, right. so we can sort of zoom out and see everything that's happening. And 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 you know, I, I hear this time and time again that people communicate that in order to have the success or achieve the goal or achieve the result. Of course, it takes things like commitment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what it really takes is a surrendering to, to the unknown of how it could unfold. And has, has that surrendering or that allowing that yeah. faith? As yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally yeah. agree with that. It's like, and, and, what, and what I surrendered to was the process. I just surrendered myself to the journey. And I, I almost, there were definitely times almost where I felt like, I was not even doing anything. I was just being guided. And what's the, what's the impact of that been? Like, how has that benefited you personally besides achieving the results, which we've seen now, but how has that internally benefited you? I think it, I think it benefits you when, when you surrender, when you surrender like that, or at least when I did, there's kind of a, just a serenity in your life. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's the, the old saying that says, don't sweat the small stuff and everything's the small stuff. <laughs> you're kind of in that place, you know, you're in that zone where, where you are not bothered by much and you are very clear and focused for a lot of the day. And your, your overall level of happiness and serenity just kind of goes through the roof. And what was it like 
to watch the film unfold? Like once you release it, because you, I think you said that that it launched in 2012. Is that right? yeah? It was it launched in 2012. Yeah. And and when did you sort of see that that spike or that you know proverbial tipping point happen where it started to gain more momentum and more popularity? Was it was it right away or was it later on? You know, it it, it happens in waves. Like right away, it was amazing, man. It was like just amazing people coming out of the woodwork and then and we hit kind of this plateau and then and then and 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 to be clear you know i'm not i'm i'm a filmmaker not a marketing person so i've made a lot of mistakes in the distribution of the film and so anyway we we kind of hit a plateau and then my commercial career was there and you know we we weren't making tons of money off this film not enough to live on anyway so i started doing commercials again so i I neglected the release a bit, but then, you know, another group would find it and it would, you know, see a resurgence and a spike in sales and a spike in just eyeballs on the film. And then, you know, I would get invited to um, speak at something um, or, you know, do a Q and a somewhere. I, I did a Ted talk later. And, and so I see these waves of popularity happening and, and recently it's been like a, a really, really solid wave of popularity. It's really, and I'm getting on a, on a good run now. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it's, I, I think, I think it's a, a, once again, it's kind of half that I'm on another journey. And now I'm, I'm kind of starting another film and my wife um, is having health issues um, with cancer. So I'm kind of on that journey and it's half that I just have neglected the marketing of the film. So I'm just not there. You know, I'm not, I'm not present with it on Facebook all the time. Um, but I think as we talked earlier, the film has kind of taken a life of its own on. Um, and it's amazing to, it's amazing to see. And I, and I oftentimes go, shit, I, I actually made that thing. Like I did this thing five years ago and it's, and through my struggles in life, it, it comes back to touch me in ways that I couldn't have imagined. And it comes back to help me in, in times of need. That's yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful sentiment because I think, it reminds me of of the quote that people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in three. And I and I, from what I've seen is that often our projects are very much the same. You know, we we build something or create something and put it out into the world, and we have this expectation that in the first year it's going to sort of skyrocket us, right? There's sort of like this delusion that most people have when it comes to creativity. And, and, uh, not that it's, not that it's bad to have that delusion. It's, it's sometimes great because it can, it can I think it's what keeps us going forward. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like the intrinsic <laughs> motivation, right? It's like, it's well, a, you know. delusion is the best motivator. <laughs> but I think, I think it's interesting to hear you talk about this journey because it hasn't been one that just, you know, turned around and was overnight success. It's been something that, you know, has come in waves. And, and as you said, has sort of uh, kept coming back and serving you also in return in times of need. And I'm curious, like, are you comfortable talking about the situation right now? Like I, I you, you mentioned that your wife has cancer and, yeah, and yeah. you know, that's, that's um, I'm like really unfortunate. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And it's something that I think a lot of, a lot of people struggle with. And I know that, you know, a couple of our community members, people that are in our community have, have battled with this and, and battle with their partners, losing their partners in the last little while. I'm, I'm curious what your experience has been, you know, as this creative and, and how has this affected uh, your work and your presence in your family? I would say, I would say that overall, you know, it's, it's, 
work-wise, obviously it's a, it's a pretty big distraction to, to creativity. You know, I'm really in the back of, in the back of my mind, I'm constantly worried about my wife, you know, who's struggling and, um, and she, and that comes in waves too. You know, we, we do treatment and she gets a little better. And, and so as, as her emotional state goes, so does mine, you know, so, so if she's not doing well, I'm not doing well, uh, emotionally speaking. And so, and so, and so her, her diagnosis was two years ago. So for the last two years, I've been mostly focused on my wife. You know, I've been, I would say, if you were to say what I've been doing with my time, I've mostly been a caregiver for my wife um, and a father for my son. And then part-time I've been shooting commercials. And I think recently we have, you know, and, and it's not easy. It's really horrible to watch and and it makes me feel extremely sad and makes me depressed and and she picks up on that you know and it and it's kind of a spiral it's a relationship spiral like she sees me depressed she feels guilty because she has cancer and my depression is her fault because she has cancer and it's and so the spiral can be can be horrible and devastating so we've kind of come to a, a conscious decision that instead of seeing me mope around the house you know, that's just, that's just making her depressed. And my, my son is picking up on that as well. We're kind of back at this place that we spoke about earlier, where my, my joy is making films and being a filmmaker. And that's kind of where I have the most to offer the world. And when I'm engaged in that, I'm happier. And therefore I'll make people happy around me. We've kind of come to that conclusion that, Hey man, it's time for, it's time for you to get back to uh, what you were put here to do, which is making films. And so I'm, actively now doing more commercial work and I'm starting another film as a result of this conversation that, that me and my wife have been having about what I should be doing with my time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because what I hear you talking about is really that sense of life purpose, again, popping back up and being the sort of stabilizer in your life that is allowing you to support these other people in your life and support yourself not only not only from like a financial space obviously but from like an emotional and, and physical space yeah. yeah yeah i would say that would be that's kind of primary yeah and then from from a family perspective just just because i'm i'm curious in terms of like how you know how people always handle this like how have you communicated with your son like is he is he in the picture is he part of that narrative he, and he's, he's in he's part of the he's part of the picture is um but he's not we don't give him all the details, you know, he knows, he knows, you know, a lot of the details, but not most of them, you know, like he knows that his mom has cancer and he knows that, um, uh, that the prognosis is not good. And he knows that we're doing treatments and, you know, mom is sick when she, so she coughs a lot and she looks sick and because of the cancer, but we're, he also knows that we're, fighting hard and we're trying, we're doing everything we can. And, and for, for him anyway, I know it's probably different from, for a lot of kids. I'm, I know that he's worried and it's, and it's really sad, but it also has forced him to grow up a bit. You know, a lot of kids, his age, um, as we talked about before, kind of can spin off the deep end in this culture. There's a lot of, um, in, in the classic American high school culture, uh, when you get into your late teens, there's a lot of, uh, partying that happens and exploration that happens again, as we talked about, and he seems to be, he's not fully immune from it, but I think as a result of his mother having something pretty serious and, and him being awakened to the fact that uh, life is precious, maybe may have, maybe he's avoiding those pitfalls as a result. 
Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. And and I appreciate you sharing insight on that, because I think, you know, any any parent that goes into that situation struggles to know how to handle that, you know, and I, I think sometimes just hearing it from somebody else um, almost is like a permission giver for us, you know, so that so that we know like sometimes we know what we want to do, but we sort of we need external permission to sort of help move us in the right directions to know that it's, it's the right choice to bring people into the conversation and whatnot. So, so I really appreciate you sharing that because I know it's, it's a little bit more on the personal side, but I think it really helps a lot of people. Yeah, no problem. Um, so just kind of shifting back into, into this space of the hero's journey and, and into the film, why finding Joe? Like why, why Joe? Why, why did you like, title it that and then and then how did that creative process sort of unfold uh because um as i started getting into his work i i noticed that all his friends called him joe nobody called him joseph and so when i when i contacted the joseph campbell foundation they referred to him as joe Hmm. so i went okay we'll call it finding joe then (laughs) and so was this more of like a was this more of like a personal journey for you to like experience Joseph Campbell? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. This was a, this was a, a personal journey for sure. You know, I, and I took it be, because of the crisis I was coming out of, you know, I really took it as a personal journey. Like this is, this is my path to redemption. This is my journey. This is, this journey is going to bring me from a crisis to a, you know, place of clarity and understanding. And, and I knew that that winding path would bring me to the people and circumstances that I needed to get to that place. Mm. And then, you know, like throughout this whole, throughout your journey through making this movie, like, you know, we mentioned a few of them. Uh, you, you got the chance to sit down and chat with Deepak Chopra and Mick Fleetwood and Laird Hamilton and Tony Hawk and Brian Johnson and Deepak Chopra. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's an incredible. Gay Hendricks, whose work is absolutely incredible. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And and so I'm curious if there's one moment or one conversation that sort of sort of stands out for you that was a you know a, a proverbial defining moment in your process of creating this movie. God, there were so many of them. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Every single I know. It's one like, of them, there was like hundreds. Um, it's like that stupid question of like, what's your favorite movie? I, I know it's kind of that same question, but I, I had to ask it because you interviewed such incredible people. I know, man. They were, they were all, I would say, man, they were all, and, and, and uh, I think, I, I, mean, I can't remember now, I think there are a total of 14 people in there, but I actually interviewed like 28. <laughs> so there's even more, there's like, you know, a double the amount that are not in the movie that I still had amazing conversations with that are just, they just didn't make the movie because their stories weren't interconnecting enough. Hmm. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed my talk with Akiva, Akiva Goldsman from, um, he's a screenwriter and a producer now. And he, I thought that he was extremely insightful and um, his, his talking about, filmmaking being uh amazing iconography for the living of one's life i thought that was just amazing Mm. very cool how did you connect the dots between all of these different narratives because that's that's the part i'm curious about because you have you know such a broad array of different people and i feel like it's a bit of like a metaphor for our life where we have all of these 
these vast different experiences from spirituality and Deepak Chopra to, you know, sports and athletics and Tony Hawk to this sort of leadership and in, in Robin Sharma and the entrepreneurialism. How did you connect the dots into one sort of fluid narrative? Because for me, I feel like that would be a challenge. And at the same time, it really is that that uh, component of our life where we can sort of connect all these different components together. It, it was really difficult. If you if you would have seen the process of editing, there's no way you would have said, hey, you're making this film. There, there's no way you could have envisioned this film coming out of it because it was like blood, <laughs> sweat and tears and grinding and late night. It was, you know, almost two years of editing. Almost two years, man. It was crazy. Wow. And it was just a grind. It was not a smooth path to get to where we got. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just because we have to wrap up here, I mean, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation, but uh, what's on the horizon for you and, and where can people find you? Okay, cool. So yeah, the, 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 quick, the quick Finding Joe answer is you can get Finding Joe on the website, findingjoethemovie.com. You can also get it on iTunes. And next for me is going to be, I'm, I'm starting this movie. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been threatening for years, but I'm actually starting this year. Uh, and the movie is going to be about money, um, about the philosophical idea of money. The, the fact that money is an idea, it's not a thing. It's, uh, it's just a human construct. It's not, it's not what you think it is. It's not a, there's the thing in your pocket is a piece of paper with some paint on it. It's, uh, it's a symbol for something. And so there's all these ramifications and it's the way the world looks the way it does. And actually on this particular one, I don't actually have a thesis or a hypothesis that I want to, you know, prove. I just going to go exploring this subject and see what happens. Incredible. Well, I, I tell you what, if there's any way that, that we or the community can support you, uh, obviously we are. And, and when it, when it goes out, we'll have to have you back on to talk about that because that sounds equally incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about it actually. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And uh, for everybody else out there listening to the Man Talks podcast, thank you so much for joining us. And we will catch you next week with another inspiring guest on the Man Talks podcast. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a rating and review. Until next time, this is Connor Beaton signing off.